Cocker. Uh, yeah. He lives on top of a mountain. Yeah, Santa Barbara. Have you ever been up there? No, I know Joe. I, I almost tore the bottom out of my car. I said, if I'd known, I'd have come up with a Jeep. <laughs> it's, it's Jane Fonda's place or something. Right? Yeah, it was some some uh, actress owned it. So like, yeah. and there he is, Cocker is living up there. He's and uh, in good form. Yeah, yeah, I saw him not here. long ago. Yeah, oh, you did see him. Yeah, yeah. And also, I got Del Shannon. Yeah. Up at his place, he lives. Now I've never been out there. You've That's so far away. Forget it. Jesus Christ! I, I I'm going to write a book about the making, the writing of the book. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that'd be pretty good. <laughs> One thing about you guys, you've really been a band. Uh, this is not like Jackson Brown puts together a group, uh, but you guys. Are, is there what happens in the making of a record? How much input is there from everybody, from uh, Mike or Ben or Stan? Or Quite Mike? a lot, really. Uh, this this record I'm doing is the most in years. I think I think we started out where where it was almost equal all the time. Then uh, when the records became, you know, epics, these long things, then it would be staggered, like, you know, the band would come in and do the tracks and then leave. Me and, me and Mike are usually always there. But this one's been very equal. Uh, it wouldn't be the same without them. Um, Mike Campbell has a lot to do with the... Uh, we were producing this one ourselves, the two of us. And uh, he has an awful lot to do. Benmont, you know, it's it's funny if you take those five people and they play, it just sounds like that. If we change it around at all, it doesn't sound like that. Well, so. internally, with, with everybody contributing like that, is there a problem in it being Tom Petty? I mean, you... No, not in years, I don't think. And especially since they've all uh, had so much recognition now, they're pretty top line players with everybody now. I mean, they've they've made so many records, and Michael's. Uh, you know, I used to feel bad for Michael because he wrote so many of, the, of our biggest songs with me and he was never getting any credit, you know. And now, he's, he's sort of, since he's written that Boys of Summer thing with Henley, they, uh, he, that was something he really needed, I think, you know, because he felt sort of recognized on his own, away from me in but particular. So. The guys seem to be almost like an E Street band. Uh, you know, it's, it's a band that's been together a lot of the spree. Uh, we, we know each other from high school, some of us. You know, I, I knew Stan when he was in high school. Uh, in Gainesville, was yeah. this? Yeah. yeah, we were all from there except for Howie, who joined in 82. Yeah. Did you did you come out to the coast independently? Uh, uh, three own? of us came together. Was that ben, the Mike ben, the... Yeah, Ben Mont, Michael, and myself. Yeah. And uh, the other two had come on their own over a period of time. Of about, I came out in 74. And the Heartbreakers was probably formed in 76, I guess, was when, well, maybe 75, was when the first idea came around. The album came out in 76, the end of 76. What do you remember about that L.A. club scene back in the mid-70s? It's funny because when I, you probably remember this, this is probably 74 when I came out and I had this little band, Mud Crutch, I was the bass player, I wasn't really sort of the front person of the band. And we, we had been, all our lives had played clubs. We, we'd played since we were 14 years old in Gainesville, Florida, where we lived, where so many musicians later moved to L.A. from there. And, uh, Don Felder and Bernie Ladd and sure. the list goes on. We had no idea that was unusual. I got out here, there were two places to play. <laughs> there was two, two gigs. There was the Starwood and the Whiskey. Both of which you had to have a record to even play there. So we had no record out. And we had to and we'd go out to the valley, got over and try to find these little beer bars to play and they wanted to hear the top ten 
songs of the day, which was pretty awful music at the time. It was not, you know, not stuff you could whip together with a combo and play. So we were very frustrated by it. Um, I even remember when the Heartbreakers played um, the Whiskey. When we had a record out, we went over to England. We had a big success with the first album in England. We went over opening for Nils Lofgren. And then we wound up staying headline our own tour before we even came back. We came back, and we went from all that to nothing. You know, we come back and there's yeah. no gigs. There's no, <laughs> nobody knows about it, you know. So we'd go down and play at the whiskey. And uh, I guess Elmer Valentine was kind enough to let us have a few few shots in the beginning and, and we'd play for the opening for Blondie I remember it was the one stretch on for like two weeks it'd be two shows a night of us and Blondie slowly after about the first week there's tons of people lying up at the whiskey you know just you couldn't uh, you couldn't do enough shows there you know it's just a tiny place but there was all of a sudden lots of people and then the, the same thing started to go on at the Starwood for you guys they were lined up huh? Yeah, and uh, all of a sudden, then that's when they started to play us on the radio. A fellow named John Scott uh, walked up to me out of the blue and said, "You don't know me, but you're you're gonna know me because I'm gonna get your record played." And I just yeah, yeah. And I started to hear the record slowly, and that was Breakdown, which was almost out a year when it started to get played here. And so then uh, we went on and, and toured. And I think it was about the time I remember it very well, coming back from, uh, must have been 78, we had a second album out, which had done better, and we were feeling a little vibe, you know, and there was all these people just emerging, we'd gone to England then, and 77 when we were in England, all of a sudden here were the Sex Pistols, and I remember seeing Elvis Costello playing his first show with just a, a guitar and him. Uh, all these people were just showing up, this, and uh, there was quite an excitement about it. And at the same time, disco was so huge, which all of us just couldn't stand. And so, uh, when I got back, Denny Cordell came around in my house, and he said, y "You're not going to believe this. You know, I'd only been in town a day. Come on!" And we went out to Madame Wong's, which had just started them, and uh, then we drove over to the Troubadour. And we saw the, the Knack, I guess. Yeah, the Knack was from Motels. Go -go Motels, a friend of mine from Gainesville was in this band. I got a band at the Motels, so I've got this. And there was Go-Go's, and, uh, and all of a sudden every little place was a club, you know. <laughs> and we would thought, great, you know. And now it's kind of back to the same way, I guess. Right. <laughs> was there much yeah. interplay between the bands, uh, all these club bands, the Knack and the Motels, the Go-Go's, uh, the X? Uh, well, see, I missed that because I by the by the time that was about '78. So when that came along, I was already playing the bigger places, which was really weird because when 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 I was playing there, I was on shows when I was doing clubs all over America for a while, and and I was on shows with like the Ramones, or uh, or Debbie Harry, or. Uh, just uh, you know, a cheap trick. All these bands that no one had ever heard of, and it was just all of us piled together. And, and we once cheap trick. I saw some of those guys. We we always on a tour once where I opened the show, then cheap trick, and then the Runaways. The Runaways were the headliners. <laughs> were the headliners. <laughs> 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 the wonderful girl. You know, I once. Uh, Getting all the rest of them. <laughs> the Runaways. Those three chicks, oh, four, three or four of them, were amazing. Great. 
the, that, the first LP, there have been comparisons with you with Roger McGuinn, mm -hmm. and some people said Influence of the Birds. Any, any validity to that at all? Well, of course, yeah, the, the birds were an influence. Certainly, and Roger especially. I, I think that at the time we didn't realize to the extent. I think only looking back I can see how much that, that they really did influence me. And it's, it's funny at the time, you know, Roger McGuinn was the first person to ever record one of my songs. And he recorded the song American Girl at the same time. The album, my album was out. He put it That's out. Right, he put it out. And there was a lot of confusion. To this day, I still meet people that think Roger wrote that song. And Roger, as a matter of fact, called me up, you know, wanted to see me, wanted to... <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. And so I was very nervous, and I went over to see him, and he said, you know, someone played me this record. And for at least half the record, I thought it was me. And I thought it was something I just didn't remember doing, and it drove me crazy. He goes, I'd really like to record the song. And then he came, and he heard our group, and he gave us a a job on his tour for a while, which is, we were very great. But for a while we were both playing the same song, two shows a night. Then, then we finally would do it together. And I still know Roger to this day. The last tour I was on, I ran into Roger and brought him out. And is he, is he doing time. something? Yeah. He just travels around with his yeah. wife and his acoustic guitar playing. I know Chris is doing some of that stuff. Chris so. is such a nice guy yeah, too. Chris, I made some records with him. And I, I wound up telling him, you got to be part of a band. You're not a solo artist, uh, not a big time solo yeah, artist. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he's terrific. It was really, they're really nice guys. You know, it's it's so nice. A lot of these people that were really heroes to me, I I, I know pretty well now just by, you know, weird things over the years. But I, on this live album, we had So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star on it, yeah. and we put it out. And both of them called me, Chris and Roger. Uh, to say, hey, you did a great job. Thanks a lot. You know, I would never dream. Yeah, you of missed that. the when you came out in '71. Uh, you missed the first wave of all those '60s acts that were here. Those, uh, yeah, yeah, I was just after yeah. that. You know. That was a very exciting period because that's what put LA on the map when we had the association, the Mamas and Papas, and the Birds, and Springfield, and, and, and all. Springfield. Yeah. See, I was back in Florida just yeah, listening to those to records all, all stuff, day. Yeah. You know, yeah, those are our guys. Also, it's been said that. Uh, those, those that breakdown album, the, the the second, third, fourth album, certainly down the torpedoes, that you guys were the U.S. equivalent of the Rolling Stones as a great rock and roll band. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm still band. hearing that. Today. You're still hearing that, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what the U.S. equivalent to the Rolling Stones. Well, maybe. I think there's a lot of good. It's like. Um, I think Keith Richard once was saying that, and they'd say, you know, who's the best rock and roll band? Well, I think it's it's nightly. There's probably a different one every night. Yeah, I, guess I think so. we've probably had the nights when we were. Yeah. It's, it's like I talked to uh, I talked to Artie Shaw, and I said, "How good a clarinet player were you?" He says, "On some nights, I was the best there ever was." Yes. On yes. Some, he says, "But I'm sure Benny Goodman can say the same thing." He says, exactly. I'm sure somebody else can say there are some nights, and the chemistry is great, and especially in a band, you know. There are some of those nights when it goes on, and it's usually in Allentown, Pennsylvania, or, or you know somewhere where <laughs> no one writes about it or sees it. What, what is it? Um, what, what do you when, when you get through a night like that when you really kick some ass on the stage? You get back and you ever talk about how it happened? Well, you just know. I think we, we you just enjoy it. You know, we I went through a period of. Uh, when we were first starting out and we were trying to learn to play in, in arenas, say, compared to the small, it's, there's a, sort of an art to that, to learning just how to, to deal. It's not the same thing. 
And we get very critical, and then later on, I just realized that listen, you know, <laughs> you you better enjoy it. If if the, if the audience enjoyed it, you're a fool to go back and not be happy about it. You know, I'd see too many of my friends. I'd, I'd go to the shows and I'd be out in the audience, and it's going great. And, it's, and I'd go in the dressing room, and they're all arguing about this and that. I'd go, well, you know, you missed your own party. But about that Rolling Stones uh, stuff, there probably wasn't an, an American rock band at the time. It's sort of like the Birds and the English thing, I guess. That there was a lot of English guys, Nick Lowe and all those guys, Rock Pile. Yeah. I guess they were all friends and peers, you know. And we were sort of the American equivalent to that. We never thought we were the Rolling Stones or anything. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, they're much too good. When you uh, when you had legal problems and there was that whole mess. How much effect did that have on, on the creative process and then on your music? Uh, what, how does that intrude on a life of a creative guy like this? Well, it was devastating at the time because I, I couldn't really work. I'd been set up in a position where I couldn't really do much of anything. I didn't have, my recording funds had been cut off. And legally, I couldn't really play without showing cause. To, to mount a show, uh, so I had to go to court finally and get permission to, to do a, a short tour, which we call the lawsuit tour, <laughs> to pay the bills, yeah. But in the end, it was something I was certainly glad I went through. I think it, it had a lot to do with the Damn the Torpedoes album, it had a lot to do with that material. At the time, maybe I wasn't as conscious, I think, as some people thought I was of even what I was writing about. but. Uh, looking back on it, I'm surprised I was that stubborn. But I was right. I, I didn't. It wasn't so much a case of being heroic as a, as a case of if I didn't go through that, I didn't stand a chance of uh, surviving. We were in, a, in an impossible deal. I was still on the deal that I'd signed. Well, with Mudcrutch. I was still under that deal and having to honor that and making a penny a record for the rest of my life or something. <laughs> I knew your lawyer on that one, yeah. so I kind of followed that ball. <laughs> there were a lot of lawyers, yeah. This guy named Marvin Burns, who yeah. was terrific. Uh, it was great, it really terrific. saved yeah, my he, life. And he was outraged that they were doing this to you. He it really was, was sort of... Um, and he felt you should have hung in there a little longer. He wanted to kill him. <laughs> he wanted to kill well, him, I think if I hadn't but he, been friends with Denny, I would have. <laughs> I'm still friends with Denny. He understood. He understood you wanted to get back to work and you wanted to do it. But he said, boy, we got him. They have been... Well, there was some, some low-down stuff going on there. But... It's a part of the business that you should never have to deal well, with. Well, you know what's funny is... Uh, I really like this business, you know. I really like... Most of the people in it are really pretty good people. Uh, pretty nice people. There and because of things like that, I think people see the record business as a little more evil than it is. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. because since then, really, oh, I, you know, since uh, at least since I've been over here with with Irving and those because I haven't had any any trouble with record. I've never had a crossword. I've never had anyone hang me. You know, nothing. Really, they're so polite. I'm embarrassed sometimes. You know, um, so I, I can't say that I have any troubles with them anymore. When the band made it, when you made it and the band made it, what, what kind of effect did that have on you personally? Lifestyle or attitudes about music? Or? Yeah, I don't think it had anything to do with my attitude towards music other than um, I, I began to think in terms of doing things I hadn't done. You know, once well musically, I'd say, well, I've done, 
uh, damn the torpedoes. And if I'm not careful, I'll wind up having to do that the rest of my life, you know. And I, I think this band especially, I think only maybe in the last year, people really seeing how much variety there is to this band. It, it can do a lot of music. Uh, just by accident, we learned how to play a lot of music. Like we can play country music, and we can play folk music, and rock music, which is why uh, I think Dylan gets along so well with us musically, is that we can kind of jump to whatever channel he wants to change to. Um, and I, I thought, well, this is all fine, but I'm just a little worried. I don't want to get into that thing of we're not going anywhere with this. And so I went through a period of hard promises, uh, was it, you know, I was definitely trying to do something else, and now looking back, I'm glad I did. So I think that was the first impression I had was, well, I don't want to be a honky, you know, yeah, <laughs> now yeah, that I've made it. I, I, I want to still yeah. be able to go to the whiskey with my head high. You know? How about the rest of the uh, guys? The success have any impact on them at all? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, you know what success does <laughs> yeah, to yeah, you. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, some guy uh, got kissed, got uh, guys kissed, girls! <laughs> they were girls? Uh, all of a sudden, girls that would never speak <laughs> to you before. <laughs> <laughs> You've got some money all of a sudden. Uh, that usually changes things. But fortunately, I, I don't think that we're a lot different than we were. I, I, what's one of the good things about having the same people around you all the time, that you, even people that you've grown up with, is anyone putting on too many airs is laughed right out of the room. You know, you can't really take it too far with those guys. I think if I'd been adrift with a, an ever-changing bunch of people, then it might not have been. Uh, maybe not as anchored, but uh, I've certainly had my ups and downs with success with with dealing with it or uh, feeling funny about it. But I, I don't I don't think about it much anymore. I, I've always you know it's never affected the music though. I can say. What about that. pressure? What about pressure to to repeat? Damn the Torpedoes was was a classic album. You know, some people would yeah. call it one of the great albums of the late seventies. One of the two or three great albums. Incidentally, when you're making that album. Mm. Uh, I had asked McCartney this about Sgt. Pepper, and some of the people have made really milestone albums. Were you aware that th this was an album that was that good? You know, can you can you have a perspective on it when you're doing it? I never dreamed it was uh, going to be anything like that. All I knew was I liked it, and Jimmy Iovine, bless his heart, you know, I couldn't have done that without him. He he was always there, just remaining positive in the face of anything that we were going to get this album done and uh, and he had a terrific belief in the songs some uh, I think he made us cut a refugee maybe 200 takes they still talk about it. it's done here and they still talk about you know that maybe 200 takes for days and days and days and, re and we there were periods where, you know, Jimmy was not a popular guy, you know, was like, what are you doing, he's mad, he's insane, and then when it was there, there was no argument anymore. Um, but in those days, too, another thing he did for us is, we weren't really proficient in the studios, and we were a live group, when, when we were in the studio, it was, it was a lot harder for us to get that excitement on tape. Today, we've kind of learned uh, the two sides of that coin, from spending so much time in the studio, probably. But Jimmy uh, taught us a lot about playing to the tape and, and creating a record as opposed to, it's just not as simple as a live performance just because you're wearing headphones and it's it's going to come out a different way than, than when it's just sent out into the air.
And he taught us quite a bit about that. So uh, that was... I had no idea, though, to answer your question, yeah. whether it was going to be a big album. When it when it went into the top ten, I was somewhere on the road already, and I, I, I couldn't speak for an hour. It went fast. Someone, uh, um, someone from the record company walked yeah. up to me at a sound check. You, uh, did you feel pressure after that, with the success of that album? Or, uh, some bands have really, some bands sure, really felt yeah. pressure. Sure, that's, that's yeah. strange when you've all of a sudden sold three million albums and everyone's waiting on the next one. Uh, the most pressure I felt was to move on. You know, at that time I felt that, uh, well, stylistically I want to change a little bit. And uh, I want to I wanna, uh, use lyrics a little more than I have, and I want to try to write. So that, that was the most pressure. Uh, Sales-wise, uh, I never have been one of those people that sit and worry about how many million records I've sold, you know. I, I think, you know. No, I, I, it's just pressure to get, to have your peers, to, to know that you've done this. I, I wanted well. the work to be accepted, yeah. I think, more than anything. I, I wanted people to like the record. Uh, which fortunately they did, uh, but it was rough. You know that was that's really tough when that happens to you. I still see people that that happens all of a sudden they hit a gusher and uh, I can't deal with it. And the ones that I tell you, the ones that get really caught up in it always wind up destroying themselves yeah, somehow because you can't build that way. I mean, I, I don't look at our uh, career. I guess is a fun word we never use, but. Uh, I see us more as maintaining quality as the important thing. I don't think that you you look at things as this record must has got to go up from this one to this one. I must top this one. I don't know if you can do that or even be objective about whether you're topping yourself at the time you're doing it. I think only in retrospect you can see that. Well, I'm, that was better than this or something. The Eagles had probably the most difficult time with that, maybe because it was such a complex group anyhow, yeah. and the the, uh, the personalities uh, and the intensity of the way they make records too, but yeah. after Hotel California, it was very hard. Exactly. Well, what do you do after that? Yeah. Do, do, you, do you try to ensure you're going to do that again? Well, of course you can't. You, you can only just... Uh, you got to remember that the people buying these records like the person there in the first place. Right, <laughs> that guy was just doing this. Yeah, you, know, you were just making records and playing. You, know, you don't need to be somebody else in order for them to like that. Um, they're not aware about of all this. <laughs> uh, they just want a record, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's all about songs. You know, the most pressure I've ever felt was when I felt I couldn't write songs, or I was they were coming too slow, or. They weren't the right kind of songs or this and that. So I think once I learned to sit back and relax, it, it got a little simpler. How? Uh, it's never easy, is it? <laughs> no, no, because no, it's ongoing. Uh, you yeah. always got to do it again. You've know? you got to do it again. How sensitive are you to uh, criticism? You've never really been torn apart, to the best of my knowledge, everything I've ever read. You know? um, well, they've been pretty good to me on the whole, but I'm, I'm still as sensitive as anybody else. I, I've never... You know, that can ruin your afternoon. I, I, that's what I've said. Uh, that's about the way I look at that. It's like, I can go, oh, you know. You read yeah. it? Yeah, certainly I read it, yeah. Well, I don't actively seek it all out. But if you see it, I mean, anyone tells you that they see the review and don't read it, I, I don't know, I'm suspicious of that. <laughs> I'm a little suspicious of those people that say they don't read the reviews. Some of the, re uh, uh, some of the reviewers, take an artist like yourself, Van Morrison, I know, uh, and, and other writers that they, they consider serious and 
and they give certain interpretations to what you do. Mm. I've read this on the Hard Promises album. It reflects personal turmoil at the edge of despair, but ultimately it's a statement of faith. Now, what would you, how would you respond to that? Well, I'd say, <laughs> is that what they said? Now, Torpedoes is born from personal turmoil at the edge of despair, but it is ultimately an, uh, an affirmation of idealism, a statement of faith, in transforming possibilities of music, possibility of music. No. That's probably fair enough. Yeah. That, that certainly isn't the way, if I asked Dan Lynch to describe it to me, he <laughs> no, would say, there's some fast ones, there's some slow ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like the third one, but uh, I, I think that's probably fair enough. There's a pretty good writer that wrote that, too. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. And I, I think looking back on that album, that's, that's probably what it's about. The trouble with reviews is they can only review the lyrics. It's very hard for them to write about music. Uh, it's very hard to describe music. So the most writers, I'd say 99% tends to base their reviews off the lyrics, at least in my case. When, when I read the reviews to Southern Accents, I thought I'd written a book. I, I remember saying to my wife, Jane, well, I didn't, I didn't mean to write a book. You know, this, it was taken much more seriously, literally, than, than I ever intended it to be, which which part of me rather enjoyed. <laughs> well, that's but, yeah. but and then part of me was disgusted that's by. It. Yes. No, you've got me completely wrong there. Well, they used to dissect Van Morrison's lyrics as something very very mystic and very spiritual. And one day, because I eight years I spent with him, and I, I was reading one of the reviews. And I, it was about St. Dominic's preview or something like that. And then, my God, the the allegories that they referred to, and I said, what, what is all this? He says, that's a trip. He says, I don't know, I, I saw a church, St. Dominic's, and I thought of an idea, and I wrote a song. And that's the way it came. Yeah, yeah, Dylan says the same thing. It's, well, really, what, I, I, it started simply enough, and it's just been carried on to mythic proportions sometimes. Uh, which is fine. I mean, I think that's the power of music, uh, whatever pictures you get. Uh, I, I dislike it when they get I see other people's reviews, but I, I think that they're a little snooty sometimes and maybe condemning a whole album throughout a review because they think for one particular lyrical idea or this and that, when they, they can't really be sure that's what. I, I wonder, uh, you know, just, all that's fine. Lyrics are important and it's fine to have these albums that uh, deliver these messages and make lift people up or whatever they do, but uh, I, 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 the spirit of rock and roll, as you will know, I mean, hasn't always dealt with that. Um, you know, shake, rattle, and roll is a great rock and roll. A whole lot of shaking, tutti frutti, all those songs are great songs, and I wonder if they were being um, reviewed today lyrically, if they wouldn't be dismissed as slight or something. Yeah. <laughs> Records are True. funny things. You, you, you can't always write down the words to a record and read them as poetry, whereas they may work perfectly fine within the record. I don't, I've never quite figured that one out. I've never been one to read a lot of poetry, uh, though I do like some poets. I used to say, oh, I'm not a poet. Dylan told me one day I was a poet on the last tour. He said, I think you're a poet, you know? And I was very impressed by that. I said, well, you know, that's like being told I'm, I'm an archer and I don't own a bow. I, I don't... Uh, <laughs> I never thought of myself as a poet, really. I'm a songwriter. I, I remember Steve Allen used to do a bit where he would 
just read the lyrics of a song, you know, totally disembodied yeah, right. music, and it sometimes sounded ludicrous. You know, Certainly, yeah. Ridiculous. So and so, I guess poetry, uh, you should always be able to just read it. Five or six top twenty singles. Mm. Do you consciously write for a single on a record, or does it just come? Do you think I I need a single here? And I it's the hardest thing in the world because you you certainly want one. And, uh, but if you sit down to write one, it will drive you mad. I, I think that singles, to me, are just real good songs, usually. You know, if it's a real good song, you can ask people, what, what, what do you say, what's your definition of a hit single? And they'll tell you, well, it's the beat, or it's <laughs> the sound, or the song. But I think a lot, of the most of those songs, whether you like them or not, are really pretty good songs. Uh, so I usually... What winds up the single from our albums are usually just the best songs. Yeah. I try you just to. go write your songs and. I try to, of course. Now I'm I'm concerned, especially these days, that I that I have a hit single. Um, because the, the, I don't think people really get to hear the album if you don't have a hit single. Sure. Um, but I've never. I'd certainly like to be able to do that. You know? To be able to write one when you want to write Say, one. Say, well, here's a hit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and do that. But uh, I'm not sure. I know. I know. Anytime I've tried to do that, it, it sounds silly to me. You know? well, you've had a, uh, thus far, you've had a career making records for 12 years, high in the charts. You're still not in that rarefied atmosphere of Springsteen or mm -hmm. Dylan. Just, is there any frustration about that at all? Um, Not really, no, yeah. because, you know what, I'm in a very comfortable position. <laughs> and uh, I know both of those people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I want that on my plate. That's, that's interesting, because uh, I was going to ask you, is that baggage you want to carry along with you? I, I'm not saying... You know, I'm always suspicious of people, too, saying they don't want to be more successful than they are. But uh, I'm not sure I want to... Um, be quite that. I'd love to sell all those records. I don't know if I'd, I'd really want to have to live the life that goes with it. Um, but then maybe not, you know? Maybe it'd be all right. Well, I asked uh, uh, Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger, and Frank Sinatra, maybe three of the most identifiable faces in the world, how hard is it to be you? Interesting. Uh, for McCartney, it's probably the worst. It was very hard to be a Beatle. Yeah, I can imagine. Because he that all, all the, time. the time. He carries that on his back all the time. Mm. Jagger manages to skip around it. He says he, he likes to make his own plane reservations and go by himself sometime, and he dresses down. Sinatra lives the life. He just carries it on. Yeah, see, that's the thing, is that I can... Yeah. I, I don't know I don't know if it'd be any worse for me if I suddenly sold 10 million records. Was that Bruce sold 10 million? Yeah, 10 million, you know. I don't know if it'd be any worse as far as moving around on the street, you know. That's already pretty weird. Yeah, uh, it, it kind of goes with the territory, though. Once you sell 10 million albums, then you're on the Today I, Show, yeah, and uh, you know, the, then you're being lionized all over the place. Yeah, I, I don't see myself... Uh, I, I think when Bruce, uh, last summer, yeah. you know, I've known Bruce a long time, and seeing him go through all his yeah. changes and, you know, all the success he's had, and when that happened, I, I really sort of felt sorry for him at times almost, you know, it was like it was, it was almost just the American flag, you know, it was almost a cartoonish sort of, it worries me when it gets to that Rambo stage, you know. He calls from uh, presidents. 
Yeah, which well, maybe is fine. You do something, yeah, but but that's tough. I don't know. I've never felt like I was the personality to do that. I, I've never. I think there have been times when I've even maybe walked away from that a little bit. Uh, but I, I don't know. I'm just. Uh, I, but I certainly want to be successful, you know, well, and and I, I enjoy that immensely. And uh, I just like playing in my band as long as we can go out and. Uh, Somebody comes, you know. <laughs> if, if somebody told you ten uh, years yeah. ago you'd be where you are, you'd I wouldn't have believed that. them. You know, <laughs> you'd I would, that in a minute. oh yeah, I I, I gave the the Everly Brothers, I, who I, was one of my biggest heroes ever, and I got to know Phil Everly by accident. Our kids went to the same school, and we'd be there picking them up every day. And I got to know Phil, and then when they got back together, I went over to London with them and for all that, and then. So it was very nice. They called me to give them, they wanted me to present them their star on Hollywood Boulevard. And I went down to do that, and I was just standing there. I was walking out, and I was telling Phil, Everly, I said, if someone had told me <laughs> when I drove into town, you know, that one day I'd give the star to the Everly Brothers, I just, you know, couldn't have believed it. You were you were part of what, a new wave almost, they were using those words to describe you. How hard is it now, 10, 12 years later, to continue to be new and fresh and exciting? Yeah. Well, it's it's not very hard. I just I just do what I'm I'm doing. You know, I just do where where the wind takes me. That's what it, what the sort of albums I do, and I hope that they stay contemporary. You know, um, but I don't worry about that. I never thought about that. I just do. I really just try to do music I like, and if I like it. Then I put it out, you know. I couldn't put out something I didn't like. Would would that would really drive me crazy? And so, but you know, it's the old thing. Is when they thought we were new, they thought we sounded like the Birds and the Rolling Stones. We used to we used to laugh endlessly about this new music, and then all the descriptions were the Beatles and the Birds and the <laughs> Bob Dylan and the. So it's it's just another you you go around and you soak it all up and you make your own stew, you know. <laughs> Is there some place you'd uh, like to go in the next five, ten years with the music or yourself? Is there anything you'd like to do? A, a show, a film or anything like that? I I would really like to just um I hope the band stays together for a few more years anyway. And I'd really like to just see it. Um, there, there are two or three sorts of things I'd, I'd like to do. I'd really like to do, I think, uh, you know that first Allman Brothers album? Sure. I think that that was such a pure record yeah. and an exciting record. That's when Dwayne was on too. Man. And commercial too, I mean, but just exciting and pure. And, and this band has that potential, I think, to reach a, an album like that. that and and writing, I enjoy writing. I'm still very interested in getting better at that. So uh, music takes up. I'm not dying to to make a film or anything. I just did a little part in a film with Tim Hutton, and and I enjoyed it. But uh, you know, I, I still like sitting in the studio yeah, and funny. making my records. You know. Tell me about the Dylan experience. What was it like going out with this uh, icon? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a, it, Bob's a terrific guy. Uh, I really like Bob. The, the nicest thing about it all was is that we got on as friends right away. I mean, we never had a, a drop of a beat, you know, within, I think, ten minutes of How all How did that get together? Because of the farm aid uh, that you had planted? Yeah, well, the band had been mod, had known Bob for a long time. He played with Bob back in, I don't know, 79 or 80 on some album. 
and then slow. Then in Bob's last album, he he had I think three of the band on the record. And so when he was gonna do Farm Aid, Neil Young had asked me and Bob. I think were one of the first people he'd called, and Bob was looking. At, We'd all done Live Aid. I think that was the last time I'd saw Bob. For, I didn't know him, really. I only met him a couple of times. You know, Hello, what do you say? And uh, he he called up and said, Well, what do you think? Uh, I see you're on the show, too, so why don't we try to... And I said, Well, sure, come on over to rehearsal and see how it goes. And we wound up playing for four hours. Wow. It was over on the MCA at the Universal Soundstage. And so we stayed there for a week, and I tell you, that's still the biggest thrill of my life. Uh, was was that week? We would play in way into the night. Just uh, you know, this guy's got so many songs, and just and besides his material, he knew hundreds of cover songs of just obscurest. That just he's his mind, you know, has so many songs in there. Was he teaching you those songs? Yeah, and and we were just playing, and and Bob is not a very conventional person in that he says, let's play um, Tears of a Clown in F, and he just starts playing. and, and But that's, he dug the right away what was nice for him is that it had been so long since he'd worked with a unit that plays together all the time, where he said to me, this is, this is like talking to one guy. Because we could follow him and, and allow him the freedom of chance. So we were just... By the time we got to Farm Aid, you know, we were just beaming. We were having a great time. And then we all of a sudden, bang, it's all over. And I think uh, Bob felt... Now, this is all pretty much you know, conjecture, because I'm not sure, but I think... I know he was excited about it, and he wanted to play some more. And so the next thing I know was, well, what do you think if we went to Australia and just did few shows just for the fun of it down there and then that turned into well let's let's do the whole tour of New Zealand, Australia and Japan. And boy, by the time we were a couple of weeks into that, you know how you talk about maybe one night that was the best band there 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 was there was two or three nights I think in Australia and and in Japan one night I remember the Budokan where it was just best music I ever played on. You know, it was really something. So it developed more, and, uh, you know, there's sort of a friendship there, and uh, and I'd always just go to play with Bob, you know. And, and Interesting to see the audience reaction to him, too, in some places. Isn't yeah, I was thrilled, you know, and in America when we came back, it was great to see uh, see him out there, and really doing good shows, really, really up for it, and playing songs, you know, we got him to play... Uh, Positively Fourth Street and all these songs that he, that he hasn't told but he told me, yeah. I said the reason I didn't play those songs was there's no one could yeah. play them. Like uh, Robbie and those guys. He yeah, he said they just it didn't sound like that and it was just too difficult and I didn't do it. He goes, I used to set my shows around what the band could do. He goes, now I'm in a situation of what we can't do, which is where he wanted to be, you know. <laughs> And uh, very musical experience, very good for us. Uh, I think like this album we're doing uh, is one of our best in a long time because of that, because we were exposed to so much music. There were people, there was somebody playing all the time, playing in the hotel hall, playing at the sound check, playing in the dressing room, just all right, showtime, and just you unplugged your guitar and walked out there and played for three hours. And we'd play acoustic music and then the band would play, and then me and Bob would play acoustic, and then, and you know, so I was singing harmony, playing the bass, wow. 
playing this, playing that, you know, it's really fun. Great experience. Very good experience. If up to this point in your life you could take a, a year and put it in a bottle and put it up on a shelf and uh, 40 years from now, when you're yeah. in a rocking chair, take it down and look at it, is there a, a year? That I think this would be one, Joe. This would I, be I, one. It really would. This would be one of the most just satisfying years, you know, that's been happy. Just a lot Terrific. of... Um, I'm real happy with the, the album, and I'm happy with that, that, you know, Bob really was responsible for, he, as much as, I've, I've seen so many people say, well, they really lit a spark under, but he really lit one under us, you know. <laughs> he really got us excited about, you know, because when you're with the same five guys all the time, you don't really appreciate it, you know. You know each other's jokes after 12 years. And then, then also somebody shows you how good you how are. How good it really is, and, and how good it can even still be. When you can reach out. Uh, and uh, we were... Uh, so many nice things have happened this year. Is there any other artist that you would love to go on the road with, and not to just work with like you did with him? Well, there's probably quite a few. I don't think there's really anybody else we would have done that for. Yeah. Because uh, he was our man, you know. Yes. Uh, was our man, and we 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 wanted to do that well. And now it's uh, it's like I said, I'd always go play because I just really enjoy playing with him. Um, there's quite a few people I really look up. To. I think Keith Richard is is a, a fantastic person. Very underrated. Yeah, and an incredible musician. Really, just pretty scary musician and songwriter. Which I you never really care Keith brought up much as a songwriter because somebody's got to be the best rock and roll songwriter ever. Um, Neil Young, I think, is. Uh, you know, we just we did the show with Bruce and Neil and all everybody played acoustic, and that's something I'd never done. Walked out in front of a crowd and just played with my acoustic for a show, and it's it's been a, it's been good. I feel like I've stretched myself a bit and I've enjoyed it. There's there's so many great artists left. Oh, God, there's so, there's so much for you to do then. If you, if this year alone you can find making a new album, going out playing with Dylan, going out and playing acoustic on a, a night when all those other people are there, then it's it's still popping for you pretty good. Oh yeah, it's been a, a yeah. fantastic year. You know, I, I did that, and then I, I even had fun making the movie with. Uh, <laughs> Now, if you'd only stop smoking. Oh, sorry. No, 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 that didn't bother me. <laughs> now, if I can just stop smoking. <laughs> you'd be yeah. all right.